Hey everybody, this is Rob from the Caffeine Crew cast of Pods and DC Primetime, and I'm here to tell you something that you should definitely be doing if you haven't done so already, and that is heading over to www.nextlevelradioonline.com. There's a ton of other great podcasts on the network if you haven't checked them out already, such as From Panels to Pixels, Two Fat Dudes, What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero, uh, an upcoming Lost Revisited podcast, uh, in addition to our flagship show, The Showcast Spotlight, which is about to probably get ready to kick off its brand new season of celebrity interviews. Great shows like The Melting Pat, Primetime Fantasy Football, and Con Talk. So whatever your interest is, there's definitely something for you at Next Level Radio Online. Make sure to check them out, like them, review them, share. Thank you guys so much for all of your years of support. Now, back to the show. Wednesday night at 8, we've got a surefire cure for those people who bite their fingernails. And nightmare on Elm Street. Hey, is this one of those vibrating beds? I wonder how long it takes him to peel a potato. <laughs> Don't miss a Nightmare on Elm Street Wednesday night at 8 as Shocktober continues. Sponsored by TV50 and FM 104 WOMC. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently. I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following program contains violence, disturbing imagery, nudity, and, oh my God, why are you even watching this? Just run away. This shit is going to give you nightmares. For real. Nightmares where you are running naked on a treadmill made of razor blades, and your third grade teacher is pointing and laughing at you. We don't need a stretcher in there. We need a mop. No, not a jizz mop either. God damn damn you people with your filthy minds but then again if you have a filthy mind you've come to the right podcast so welcome back lurkers to the next level network production of the seventh episode for what lurks behind podcast zero and i am your gangly dream warrior host paul williams and this week i'm invading your delicate dreams turning them into nightmares, causing you to scream like a schoolgirl who has just been flashed by the class clown. This week, I'm going to strip away your precious mental security as I gleefully talk about one of my all-time favorite slashers from the 1980s, the one, the only, the 1984 Wes Craven slice of heaven and hell, known as A Nightmare on Elm Street. But first, let's take a trip to the morgue of media rumblings and see what news has turned up on the slab this week. 14 years ago, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead graced theater screens across North America and many other parts of the world as well. And I actually saw it on opening night 14 years ago. 14 years ago, uh, March 19th, I should say, 2004. Yeah, I remember seeing it at the theater. And it's weird because, as with most Zack Snyder films, uh, the director's cut was a little bit better. <laughs> Granted, I know Zack Snyder has been uh, a topic of discussion for, what, the last four or five years? About how Man of Steel sucked, Batman vs. Superman sucked suck my nuts because I think he's a great director yeah, is he the best? no 
I think that title could possibly go to the guy I'll be talking about today. Or one of, anyways. But, no, like, seriously, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, one of the few times a remake was almost as good as the original. I mean, it doesn't happen often. But then again, you know, and I've said this before, I'm not so sure on the podcast, but I've said it to many people before. I think the best remakes are always the ones of films from 20 or more years ago. Like, you look at John Carpenter's The Thing. The original came out in, like, the 50s. He did his in 1982. Night of the Living Dead. Tom Zavini didn't remake it till 1990, and the original came out in 1969. So, what, 21 years later? And same with Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead, the original, came out in 1978. Zack Snyder's 2004. When you let them, like, when you let that time period pass on, Sometimes the remakes turn out to be really fucking good. But when you're remaking Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, not even five years after the last film just came out, uh, fans aren't very accepting. But we won't talk about that. Not not this episode. No, no. We want to talk gleefully, as I said. Shutter Canada. I don't know about the states. I apologize, but in Shutter, like in Canada, uh, Shutter has been adding a lot of new titles last week or so. Uh, titles that included Pod, which I've marked down. I want to give it a shot. It looks interesting. Uh, Rift is another one. Cold Hell, which I highly recommend. That's my lurker's recommendation for the week, by the way. Uh, Cold Hell. Cold Hell is a really cool film about like basically your average girl has a shitty life, you know. Uh, previously, she had been uh, like arrested for, you know, uh, drug possession, and like she's trying to put her life back together. She's a taxi cab driver now, and you know has to deal with like you know really fucking annoying people. Anyways, goes back to her apartment one night, looks through her window, and witnesses a murder. And then the killer is now stalking her. Except that what the killer don't know is is that she's very talented in Turkish boxing and knows how to defend herself. And it's a really cool movie. Um, Not the most original idea. I mean, we've seen this before. Uh, The Villainous is one that just recently uh, came to Netflix and it's along the same lines. But Cold Hell, I definitely recommend it. It's a German film, German and Austrian. So you have to read it, and as I've said before, read it or shut up, (laughs) because it's a damn good movie, and uh, so what if you gotta read them? Like I've said, some of the best movies are foreign films, deal with it, Uh, and uh, also they added the movie Don't Hang Up, which I've never seen before, apparently it's got pretty good rave reviews on Shudder, so I'm gonna give that one a whirl sometime this week as well. Bloody Disgusting, which, by the way, is a website I love going to. Uh, They're very good at reporting their news. Anyways, they were reporting this past week that a new Leprechaun sequel is coming to sci-fi in 2019. Uh, And, of course, this story came up because just recently it was St. Patrick's Day. Uh, The sequel is going to be directed by Stephen Kostansky, who directed The Void. The Void is an excellent film, by the way. Um... And very much like Halloween, this uh, Leprechaun sequel is going to ignore all previous sequels. Uh, It's going to be taking place after the first film. Warwick Davis, sadly, will not return as the Leprechaun. But they got uh, Lyndon Porco. And from what it looks like, he's going to be okay. From what I'm... I, I was reading, like, comments and whatnot. I guess there's a trailer that dropped... And people said, yeah, he looks like he'll fit in, so. But uh, basically, the write-up on it was the film picks up 25 years after the events of the 1993 original. Uh, And like I said, it's ignoring all the sequels that have come in between. Uh, Which found a maniacal leprechaun doing whatever it takes, including committing gruesome murder to track down his stolen pot of gold. Uh, The movie uh, Leprechaun Returns apparently is the full title for this one. 
finds the leprechaun revived in the modern day when a group of sorority girls unwittingly awaken him while tearing down a cabin to build a new sorority house. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, it sounds like it's going to be good though. Um, I mean, come on. Leprechaun films, they're meant to be campy, right? So what are people really expecting? Uh, the new sequel is going to be written by Suzanne Kelly, who uh, has been working on Ash vs. Evil Dead as of late. So, I don't know. Could be in good hands. Speaking of Ash vs. Evil Dead, I'm. this is not even in my notes. This is me completely going off the rails on this for a minute. I'm getting tired of seeing on the internet these websites trying to guilt fans into watching the show live or through the Stars app. Especially if we don't live in the United States, we don't have access to that app. Furthermore, many of us don't have access to a streaming site that offers Ash vs. Evil Dead. And this is like basically um, like a ton of countries outside of the United States. I understand that in the U.S. they're trying to push for, you know, live ratings and whatnot. But let's face it, since Lionsgate bought Stars like, what, the end of 2016, they've been fucking around with this show, like, consistently. I mean, they wouldn't even give it its October release. Instead, they pushed it to February. Then they put it on the same night as The Walking Dead. You can seriously tell that Lionsgate does not want to continue with Ash vs. Evil Dead. They're specifically setting the show up to fail. <sighs> and yet, we're making the fans feel guilty for this. Fuck off. A lot of people buy the DVDs when they come out, or the Blu-rays. They don't get to see it when it's being aired on TV. Um, Netflix is another option that a lot of fans turn to, but here in Canada, we only have Season 1. We can't even get Season 2, let alone Season 3. So what the fuck? Like, how are we supposed to watch it? I understand that most of the media is driven towards US fans, but it's getting fucking annoying to keep seeing this on the internet that, you know... We're being told, Bruce Campbell says, watch the show live. Stars say, watch the show on our app. Okay, we would if we could, but we can't. So, you know what? Stop putting it on the fans. It's not the fans. Anyways, rant done. But speaking of TV shows, AMC's Comic Book Men, this past weekend, they had uh, their special guest was Lloyd Kaufman. And if you enjoy the trauma films or like, you know, Toxic Avenger and whatnot, uh, Lloyd Kaufman was on there in his crazy way. And he had personalities for many of the trauma films, including the Toxic Avenger. Uh, <laughs> it was interesting to watch. I enjoyed it. Probably enjoyed it more than I did The Walking Dead this week. And no, I'm not one of those that, you know, bashes on The Walking Dead all the time. It just, I found this week's episode to kind of drag a little i was looking for a little bit more oomph from it but whatever it is what it is that said though comic book men was fucking awesome lloyd kaufman is hilarious and it was basically um he had the four guys from the uh jay and silent bob secret stash they had to compete as to who would be on the next uh, who would be uh like a guest cameo in the next uh trauma film so <laughs> It was an interesting episode. If you if you like trauma or you like just like watching Lloyd Kaufman, uh, check out the uh, the most recent episode of Comic Book Men. It was good. And now, um, I don't know if this is necessarily a rant on my part, but it was reported uh, actually just today. I saw the reports. Chopping Mall remake. Okay, I am a huge fan of the original Chopping Mall. I know it's campy. I know it's stupid and silly. But how do you call it a remake if there's no killbots? The killbots were the, like the biggest part of Chopping Mall. They were the, the they were hilarious. These silly fucking weird-looking robots chasing these kids that are trapped in a mall and as they kill each one of them they're like have a nice day. It's fucking hilarious. No, the remake apparently this time around it'll be mannequins. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, way back in 2011, it was announced that the director, uh, Robert Hall, he's been intending to remake um, Chopping Mall. 
He went on to reveal uh, what he plans to do, and that is basically replace the killbots in his version, uh, which he's describing as the fog set up in a mall. Um, he wants to replace the killbots with mannequins. Uh, his actual quote was, My version of Chopping Mall that I wrote is totally supernatural. Instead of killer robots, there are these mannequins that are possessed by the souls of dead slaves that worked at the plantation that the mall was built over. Uh, he went on to say that it's taken him almost seven years to get his version of Chopping Mall off the ground, partially due to budgetary issues. With other companies getting their hands on the Corman library, he now has to check to make sure he still has the remake rights. So it may not happen. But if it does, you can't have a Chopping Mall movie without the fucking Killbots. I, I love the Killbots. The Killbots were what made the first movie so fucking hilarious. And not to mention Barbara Crampton was in it. But that's me geeking out for a moment there. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I, okay, here's my thing. If you want to do this, I have no problem with this movie. As a matter of fact, the concept does sound kind of cool. My issue is, is don't call it Chopping Mall. Give it a different title. Call it sort of like a Chopping Mall homage. I'm cool with that. Calling it Chopping Mall with no killbots, it seems weird to me. I mean, granted, this isn't, you know, a Ghostbusters remake. God, we won't start on that one. Or, you know, like Rob Zombie's Halloweens and shit like that. Like, I mean, like, it's... it's it's not the kind of movie where you're going to get really upset about it, but it's just for those of us that are like cult little fans that we love Chopping Mall for the stupidity of it all. We want Killbots. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It is what it is. I mean, I'm still going to give it a chance no matter what. Could end up being really good. Uh, final little note. Just want to uh, congratulate DC Primetime. Their 100th episode finally dropped this week. They're really excited about it. I have yet to actually listen to it. I plan on doing that tonight. Um, so I just wanted to congratulate uh, Ben Beck and Rob Martin. You guys have done an awesome job over the past several years. You hit your 100th. And from here at What Lurks Behind, behind Podcast Zero, we need uh, we me and all my multiple personalities. I'm gonna start naming them too. I think actually, um, just wanted to wish you guys, uh, you know, another great hundred episodes and congrats on the first hundred. I think it's awesome. Looking forward to your quote unquote rebirth. But now, the moment you've all been waiting for. One, two, this podcast host has something for you. Three, four, hope it'll keep you screaming for more. Five, six, this week I don't have to be a dick. Seven, eight, this movie is super fucking great. Nine, ten, after this break I'll be back again. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet. But something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? You could just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the John puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. No! She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. I know. 
I'm sorry. You guys all hated my singing, didn't you? I thought it was clever. Like, fuck you. It was fun. But I have no singing voice. Yeah, I'm I'm well aware of that. A Nightmare on Elm Street. <sighs> yes. I'm excited to talk about this movie. This is easily one of my all-time favorite movies. I remember seeing this as a kid. Like and not I I don't even know if I was ever actually scared of it. I just enjoyed the shit out of it. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Released November 16th, 1984. Created, written, directed by Wes Craven. On a budget of $1.8 million, and by the time it was done in the theaters, it grossed $25.5 million. That's fucking awesome. Way to go, Wes. Way to go, everybody. Like, seriously, this was a nice uh, collection of people that came together, put this, uh, this masterpiece together. Producers Robert Shea, Sarah Richard, Joseph Wolf, Stanley Doodleson, and John Burroughs. Casting by Annette Benson. I bring up the casting because, honestly, this is probably one of the most perfectly cast films in horror, let alone any kind of movie, really. I mean, there's a lot of great movies out there. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great movies where the cast has been perfect, you know, down the line. As much as I hate to admit it, Marvel does it fucking magnificently but Annette Benson did something pretty amazing when she put together this cast because this is a very decent cast in this film and the music as you heard through the intro I didn't go with the normal uh, podcast zero music this week this week I went with uh, a bit of the score from Charles Bernstein because let's face it (laughs) Nightmare on Elm Street music is pretty fucking iconic And it just seemed right this week. I mean, I had to, right? The movie was released by New Line Cinema, uh, Media Home Entertainment for VHS release. And I wish I still had my VHS tape. (laughs) Fucking sucks. I had two versions of it, actually. I had had the original one that I posted. If you've been on the Facebook page, I posted the cover artwork from the original uh, VHS tape. You should check that out because I used to own that. And then I had, um, many of you will probably remember, there was a VHS tape uh, collection where if you put like parts one through seven together and on the side, like the side binding of the the cases, I guess, it formed a picture of Freddy. I had both of those. Um, I don't have many more. Sucks. Not going to get all personal on you, but there was a time when uh, money was not easy to come by. And I sold a lot of VHS tapes that I wish I had back. This being one of them. But anyways, moving on. The movie was filmed in Los Angeles, California during the month of July in 1984. One month, that's all it took. Uh, Special thanks in the credits go out to Sean S. Cunningham, who is responsible for Friday the 13th. Sam Raimi, who was responsible for the Evil Dead series. And Jack Shoulder, who worked on a film called Alone in the Dark. Um, Robert Shea, I believe, produced it. And Lynn Shea was uh, one of the actors in the film. And Robert Shoulder also would later direct A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Which, that's a movie all in its own league. One day I'm going to talk about the second part. As a matter of fact, at some point throughout the history of this podcast, all seven films will be discussed at one point or another. But this week, I just wanted to focus on part one, and that's it. The cast. Oh, I love talking about this cast. So, the cast, uh, starring John Saxon. John Saxon is also in another of my absolute favorite, all-time fucking great horror movies, Black Christmas. He's been in a lot of other movies too, but just the fact that he's been in both A Nightmare on Elm Street and Black Christmas, I love the man. I think he's awesome. Uh, Ronnie Blackley, she played um, the mother. She played Nancy's mom. Little bit of uh, trivia. She also recorded on a Bob Dylan album, uh, the album Desire. As a matter of fact, it was uh, she did backing vocals for uh, 
the track Hurricane, which Hurricane can be heard in the movie Dazed and Confused. Um, yeah, I could go on like this all day doing little trivia bits like that, but I thought it was interesting that she recorded with uh, Bob Dylan. I used to have, uh, uh, it was like Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, I think, Volume 3. And I remember I was reading the credits inside the disc the one day, and I saw her name, and I was like, there's no way that's the same fucking woman. And I ended up finding out it was, and I was like, huh, fucking right. Uh, I love when I find little, like, trivia bits like that. Um, Heather Langenkamp. Now, we all know who Heather is. Heather is Nancy Thompson. And she beat out, like, a lot. She beat, what, uh, like, 200 actresses she beat out, including people like Jennifer Grey and Courtney Cox. That's pretty fucking good, because pretty much up to this point, she was a nobody. I think she had been, like, in one TV movie or something, I think I read. Uh, Amanda Wiss, who plays Tina. Um, she's still been relevant in movies. I didn't realize this. I think it's because she hasn't been in too many movies I've seen. But she's still around. Um, Nick Corey, he played... Um, oh, shit, Rod. Rod Lane. Uh, he's also, I guess his real name is Ju Garcia, but in this he was credited as Nick Corey. Charles Fleischer. Charles Fleischer, what I love about this guy is that he was also the voice of Roger Rabbit. I think that's fucking hilarious. The dude that plays a doctor in this movie is Roger Rabbit. It's so fucking cool. Uh, let's see, Joseph Whip was in this. He played... Uh, if I remember correctly, he's like the cop that's like standing outside and Nancy's like, get my dad, you bastard. And he's like, I think I better go tell the lieutenant. I think that's who he was. Um, Lynn Shay. Lynn Shay, if you, a lot of uh, horror fanatics are very uh, familiar with the Insidious films. She plays, um, why the fuck? All of a sudden I've gone blank. I can't remember who she plays in the, Elise. Wow, that was scary. Um, anyways. She plays Elise in the Insidious films. Well, in Nightmare on Elm Street, she actually is the teacher. When uh, Nancy gets burned on the arm and she wakes up screaming and flailing, and you're gonna need a hall pass. Yeah, that's uh, that's Lynn Shay. Uh, Joe Unger is in this. Mimi Craven, who was Wes's wife at the time, actually, they got a divorce. I think I read their divorce was like 1987. But uh, yeah, she plays the nurse that works with. Roger Rabbit. I think that's so fucking cool. Uh, Jack Shea was in this. And then, of course, the last two I'm saving because, like, they're the biggest names in the fucking movie. Johnny Depp, who uh, this was his first feature film. Go figure, right? Like, Johnny fucking Depp. We're talking Edward Scissorhands. We're talking fucking Captain Jack Sparrow. Uh, From Hell. Fucking Sleepy Hollow. Um fuck what hasn't the man done right blow is a great fucking movie too uh, anyways johnny depp's in this and robert england and uh i have some trivia notes on robert england but um i mean really do i even have to talk about him like who the fuck doesn't know who robert england is right but uh anyways moving on the synopsis for the film on Elm Street, Nancy Thompson and a group of her friends are being tormented by a clawed killer in their dreams named Fred Krueger. Nancy must think quickly as Fred tries to pick them off one by one. When he has you in your sleep, who is there to save you? We're the dream... No, I'm not going to start there. Um, anyways, so this is uh, my notes for the film, and I call this the gore, the bad, and the ugly. Um... There's, like, a lot to talk about, and I've, I've tried to, like, truncate some of this stuff because <laughs> I could have talked about this movie for fucking ever because, um, like, what, you know, what is what is there not to talk about, right? Um, basically, it, it's one of the earlier films I've seen in my younger days. I remember even watching this on Shocktober, which I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast. Uh, Shocktober on Channel 50 with Count Scary. And yeah, like Nightmare on Elm Street uh, is the first one anyways. And maybe the second one. I don't know. I, I do know, though, that uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, uh, was a like season regular for Shocktober. Every Halloween it was on there. And I remember watching that. Um, 
there is an uncut version of this film I have not seen. Uh, apparently, it's like a minute longer in length, I guess. Now, I've heard rumors about what's contained in the uncut version. Apparently, the MPAA and like the UK censors and whatnot, I guess it was like a, a censorship, like it was in unity. Everyone apparently wanted this movie. There's scenes, uh, I, from what I'm hearing, it's the scene when Tina dies. That apparently it was just a little too gruesome and it was made to be cut. Now, I don't know for sure because I've never seen the uncut version. It's never been released on DVD or Blu-ray. I do know it was on Laserdisc and on VHS, but I never got my hands on it. It's one of those things that I kind of regret. But um, yeah, it, it, it hasn't been released on DVD or Blu-ray yet. I'm hoping that eventually maybe like Scream Factory or Arrow Video give it the beautiful treatment that they always do and fully restore the film so I can actually see what it is was cut from this goddamn film. Um, the basis of the film, I mean, everybody knows what it was inspired by. It was inspired uh, by a group of Southeast Asian refugees in the 1970s. Uh, they fled to the United States after war and genocide in Cambodia and Vietnam. They had disturbing nightmares and were refusing to sleep. Um, uh, let's see, medical authorities called the phenomenon the Asian death syndrome. And that's, uh, it, Wes read this in the LA Times and it kind of stuck with him. And we all know like, um, like Freddy Krueger himself, it was drawn a lot from, uh, you know, Wes Craven said like, you know, when he was younger, he saw some elderly man walking down street late night, whatever, some hobo or something like that kind of spooked him, you know, had like the hat and whatnot. And then the name Fred Krueger apparently was the name of the bully that, you know, Wes, uh, had to deal with as a kid. Uh, that name has also come up in, um, like, like not Krueger, not Fred Krueger, but like Krug was the name of the character in uh, last house on the left. And again, it was based on the, the bully that, you know, Wes dealt with when he was a kid uh, I mean, a lot of people know this story. It's not something I really have to go over a whole lot. I am going to point out, though, uh, because this has been an argument, like it's been, you know, argued and whatnot, that whether or not Freddy Krueger was a child molester, because people say, well, he wasn't a molester in the first film. He was intended to be. Um, I know that there was uh, legal cases going on at the time that uh, dealt with uh, child molestation, and Wes was afraid that, you know, people would take the whole idea of Freddy being a child molester, like it might hit like a sour note, so he kind of pulled that part away from the character. And then, uh, you know, later on in like 2010, when uh, Jackie Earl Haley did his version, it was kind of brought back. Um, <laughs> we all know that not too many people like that remake, but... I mean, he was intended to be a child molester. Um, but, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he ended up just being a child murderer, which seemed kind of weird. And, I mean, like, if you watch the film, like, I mean, like, there, there's hints of of child molestation that could have almost happened. Like, especially the scene when Nancy's in the bathtub and, like, the claw comes up between her legs. Like, come on now. <laughs> It was still hinted. I don't give a shit what you say. It was still hinted that, you know, he had some weird fucking tendencies in that out of his. Um, so let's see. What else? Uh, what else to talk about? So I, I thought I had to write this down because I thought this was very interesting to learn. So uh, Wes, obviously, he began writing uh, Nightmare on Elm Street right around uh, 1981. He had just finished uh, production on Swamp Thing, which... I'm going to mention, by the way, if you ever want to hear um, me in a podcast talking about Swamp Thing, I believe it was episode, I want to say 74, I could be wrong, but I think episode 74 of DC Primetime, you'll actually hear me on there talking with Rob about Swamp Thing. Um, Swamp Thing is a guilty pleasure of mine. I do love that film, and I thought I would bring that up just quickly, uh, especially, you know, like I said at the top of the podcast, you know. It's DC Primetime's 100th episode. It's a week of celebration for them. And I thought, hey, why not, you know, 
tip the hat to an episode I was in. <laughs> All right, so that works in my favor, and let's move on. Uh, anyways, he pitched it. Uh, he pitched the the screenplay to like several different studios. The one that caught my attention was Walt Disney Studios. He actually tried to pawn off a Nightmare on Elm Street to Walt to Walt Disney Productions, which that fucking made me laugh my ass off when I found that out. Of course, Walt Disney wanted him to like tone it down and like make it like a kids movie. <laughs> You're right, please. But it just made me fucking laugh. Like, I, and don't get me wrong, I know Walt Disney has some dark shit. Like, he probably could have still made it a dark film, but no. I mean, A Nightmare on Elm Street does not belong in the Disney uh, catalog. Even though, it, like I said, I just thought that was fucking hilarious. Um, I think he is uh, what. A, uh, Paramount Pictures was another studio that turned it down uh, based on similarity to Dreamscape, which that's a good movie. I'll mention that now. Uh, Universal Studios also passed on it. Uh, eventually, it was New Line Cinema that picked it up, which prior to this, New Line Cinema was only known for distributing films. They didn't make their own. But uh, yeah, when New Line Cinema, they picked it up, they gave the project a go-ahead. Uh, they did have a lot of financial issues, though, at first. Anyways, uh, their distribution deal for the film fell through. Uh, for two weeks, it was unable to pay its cast and crew. I mean, sure, New Line would go on to make bigger and more profitable films, but without Nightmare on Elm Street, it it wouldn't be here today. And that's why you know New Line is usually referred to as the house that Freddy built. It's Freddy Krueger that saved the corporation. I, I could go on and on about all that sort of stuff, but I mean, there's documentaries and everything out there. Go watch them, have fun. Um, moving on, though, uh, Johnny Depp. Interesting thing about Johnny Depp, how he got his role. Uh, okay, yeah, he did an audition and all that sort of shit, but the reason he was given a role was because Wes Craven's daughters, uh, one of them anyways, uh, apparently thought he was very dreamy. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was like the... the uh, Wes showed like his daughters a couple like mug shots of different actors, and they picked Johnny. So that's how he got his role. Um, his role. I don't know why that came out really fucking weird. I'm not drunk. I swear to God, I'm not drunk. I, I wish I was sometimes. Um, now, in terms of Freddy, now this was an interesting tidbit that I thought I would point out. Uh, so. David Warner, uh, for the longest time, this w- it was rumored that he was originally picked to play Freddy, uh, but ultimately, you know, we all know Robert Englund was the one that was chosen. Now, apparently later on, though, David Warner finally came out and nullified those rumors. Uh, it was never true. He was never supposed to be Freddy, apparently. Anyways, um, now Robert, on the other hand, the reason he took the role was it was the only project he could work on uh, during the hiatus between filming for uh, the series and miniseries of V from 1983, where he played Willie. Oh, fuck. V will be eventually an episode. Um, it's more on the sci-fi level, obviously, than horror, but there is going to come a day where I'm going to sit down and just talk about V, and hopefully I'll have a guest on here with me to talk about it, because V is a fucking awesome series, and uh, I think it would be a lot of fun to talk about but back to this one. Um, back to a nightmare. I swear to God, I'm not fucking drunk, but for some reason, I can't fucking talk. Anyways, moving on. I know I get like angry issues at myself. I was going to edit that out, but I decided to leave it in so you can sit there and laugh at me. Um, so obviously, this is a film that a lot of people love very, very much. I hate Rotten Tomatoes, but they give it a 94% fresh rating. So, you know what? This week, Rotten Tomatoes, you're okay. Fuck you next week. Um, <laughs> well, it depends. Um, IMDb, 7.5 out of 10, which really seems weird to me. But then again, IMDb is always harsh on horror films. So, I'm going to consider that one a win. Um my personal rating is going to come a little bit later because I still have a lot more to talk about. This movie, like like I said, I could talk about this movie for fucking ever. Um, 
So really cool thing. Like the the part with the elongated arms. I know I kind of like jump all over the place here. I just thought about this. The elongated arms, so that part where he's like, this is God. And then he's got like the stretched out arms and he's chasing Tina and whatnot. That was held up with like fishing poles uh, to like keep his arms in the air and shit like that. But um, I kind of put one and one together with this because I kind of think that there's a little bit um, more of a reason behind the elongated arms because a lot of Freddy Krueger's uh, in uh, like the color schemes and like his like look and everything in terms of the clothing. Uh, Wes is uh, it, Wes had said before that it was inspired by Plastic Man, a DC Comics character, Plastic Man who had the red and yellow. So, anyways, originally Freddy's sweater was supposed to be red and yellow. And then, of course, Wes Craven read that, you know, the most clashing colors to the human retina is green and red. So he went with green and red. And this is also the only film where, like, the sleeves on Freddy's sweater, they don't have the stripes. Uh, It's the only film that doesn't have the stripes on the sweater. All the rest of them, there's stripes on the sweater, uh, like on the sleeves, on the sleeves, not the sweater. Um, But anyways, to get to my point with the elongated arms thing, when I was reading about, like, how, like, you know, Plastic Man was, like, the inspiration for the sweater... It kind of made me think that, you know, like the arms also probably were inspired by Plastic Man because like, especially with, you know, currently on the Flash, we have the elongated man, Ralph Dibney, which is, you know, basically the Plastic Man, uh, you know, stretchy and bendable and whatnot. He has the stretchy arms. So it kind of made me realize, I was like, you know what, maybe all along, like the the stretched out arms was probably a Plastic Man thing as well. Um which, I mean, I, I got to mention it. This movie, one thing I love about this fucking movie is the great use of practical effects. No CGI at all. Thank God. Um, but, I mean, like, like, what is it? Like, Robert Englund would have to go, like, through, like, something, somewhere between, like, three to, like, five hours of just makeup just to do the face. That's awesome. Like, okay, not for him, but when you think about all the create creativity and and... and the the um the hard work that had to go into that that makes it worth it you know in my opinion anyways that makes it so much more worth it you know the fishing poles having to hold the arms up um the bed uh that explodes the the blood that was filmed upside down um you know and then they had like the blood was like coming down from the ceiling and they had the camera flip the other way so it looked like it was right side up but it wasn't Uh, Same with the scene when Tina gets killed and she's being dragged along the ceiling and whatnot. The room was technically upside down and the camera was flipped. Like, I mean, you got to be creative with that shit. And I think that's awesome. Like, uh, and I mean, like, this is the creepy Freddy. This is the creepy Freddy that we get in parts one and two. Uh, So like the makeup was a lot more intense, Uh, you know, like, and I mean, like I read where like Re- like Wes basically wanted to have like, you know, like uh, Freddy's head would like be like showing off parts of skull and have pus oozing out of the face and whatnot. Now, I mean, the creative team behind it basically said it would have been impossible to do that with an actor underneath that makeup. So they never did it. And that's probably where, you know, CGI would have come into effect. But I mean, I, I can't say it enough. The practical effects in this movie are fucking great. Like, in 1984, you know, people don't realize it, but, like, that was, like, such a great fucking year. I said it to—I forget who I was talking to. Somebody a couple weeks ago, I was talking to them, and uh, they mentioned the the number, 1984. I go, great fucking year. And they were like, says you. And I'm like, in horror? Hell yeah. Um, Just movies in general. I mean, we also had Gremlins the same year. And look at the practical effects put into that. Each of those was like its own puppet and whatnot. I love the '80s for that. Like, you know, and I'm so glad I grew up as a kid during that era because, like, it's watching those movies. You know, Never Ending Story, uh, Dark Crystal. Like, so many different movies came out when I was a kid that, that like, they impacted me like huge. Uh, it's surprising I didn't follow a path into making movies although i did mention like last week i think i was talking with some friends i know i'm like way off topic here um i, I mentioned it on my facebook i think actually like i do kind of want to make a movie um about a mutant beagle uh just because 
my dog, when he gets the farts, he knows how to clear a fucking room. And it just hit me. I was like, you know, I don't think anybody's made a movie about a mutant beagle that clears a room with like gaseous ass bombs and whatnot. And, you know, you can have like razor blade, like marrow bones and shit. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I just kind of came up with the idea and I don't even know why I kind of babbled into it except, you know, I'd use practical effects. But um, anyways, moving on. Sorry for that uh, sidetrack. Um, yeah, I, this is the creepy Freddy. I th- I'll be honest with you. I think the Freddy from Nightmare Two, uh, you know, uh, Freddy's Revenge. I honestly, think that's the creepiest of all the Freddies, in my opinion. Uh, well, New Nightmare is pretty fucking creepy too, but I don't know. There's some about Freddy's Revenge. Just uh, he's fucking creepy. Um, that's not to say that Robert Englund is creepy. Robert Englund is like, I met him in in uh, 2014 Fan Expo. Granted, I don't know if I've told the story on here or not. I think I did, but I might not have. If it's if it's not this podcast, it's my other one. Anyways, I was kind of like a, a nervous nerd when I met him. Um, I didn't say a whole lot at first. Uh, and it was weird because like I had all these questions in my head that I wanted to ask him. I wanted to talk to him about different shit and whatnot. And all of a sudden I'm standing in front of him and it's like, hi. And anyways, he was really cool. He signed my book. I had like the, um, it was like the full book of the, uh, authorized, uh, official, um, like Nightmare on Elm Street series and breakdown of all the different movies and whatnot. He was really cool. He signed that. He drew like this really cool Freddy picture in it and whatnot. But yeah, I always, I've always said if I ever have a chance to like meet him again or, you know, like talk to him some way or another, I definitely want to make up for the fact that I was like this fucking nervous nerd that was like, I can't talk. Um, (laughs) But uh, it's, it's weird. Like, you know, like they say, like, you know, when you meet your idols and whatnot, Robert Englund has been an idol of mine for a long time. I've followed like a lot of his movies. Not just Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I did mention the V series, um, uh, Urban Legend. I saw. Um, fuck, what was that? Really bad. There was a bad Toby Hooper film he was in. She played Marky Desaad. Oh uh, fuck, Night Terrors. <laughs> that was a fucking bad movie, but I loved it so much. Um, and I mean, I'm I'm barely even scratching the surface. I can't even think right now, but. Yeah, meeting Robert Englund was really cool, though. He was really awesome. Like, he was really nice. And it was funny because, like, right next to him was Heather Langenkamp. I didn't even get a chance to meet her, but she seemed, like, really awesome, too. Um, Anyways, back to this actual movie. So the soundtrack score, which you heard uh, during the uh, first segment of this, uh, was originally released on the Varese Saraband label. I have a digital version of it and a physical, uh, like a compact disc version of it. Um, I love it. Uh, it's awesome. The especially the the whole opening theme during the part in the movie when like we're watching like the glove basically get put together. That is such an iconic theme, and it's like just so awesome. Um, but I mean, Charles Bernstein's theme, like you know, it, it to me, and maybe you don't agree. I put it up there with like some of the famous horror themes as like, you know, themes from like the X-Files, Friday the 13th, Halloween, Phantasm, Psycho, uh, Suspiria and Phenomena, you know, just to name a few. And those, those are themes that like, like every time I hear them, I know them the second I hear them. Gremlins is another one. Gremlins, you know, it's an iconic theme. You, once you've heard it, you know it. Um, and, and this soundtrack, like it's not long. I think it's like not, I think it's like just barely 30 minutes long. If you can find it, like even digitally, I think iTunes has it or whatnot, just download it and listen to it. Like it's it's a beautiful score, really. Um, as for VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray, I've owned all three. Um <laughs> I wish I still had my VHSs, but I don't. I still have the DVD. Um, I think it's like eight discs. It's like a full uh, you get all seven movies, and then it had like this extra disc that was like, you know, something like four or eight hours of like you play this game and at the same time it like unlocks different um, like behind the scenes featurettes, music videos and shit like that. It was, it's really fucking cool. Um, and it came with like 3d glasses so you can watch part six and 3d and whatnot. So I still have that DVD set and I have it on Blu-ray. Um, and on top of that, I've owned what t-shirts, 
figures, collectibles, soundtracks, books. Um, I even, on my laptop that I record these podcasts, there's a Nightmare on Elm Street sticker. Um, like, Nightmare on Elm Street is a huge, 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 huge part of my life. Um, and I love the fact that Freddy Krueger has been considered one of the scariest villains in horror uh, simply for the fact that he kills people when they are at their most vulnerable in their sleep, which, I mean, it's kind of funny, like in the movie when Johnny Depp is talking about, well, Glenn, his name is Glenn, but when he's talking about, like, you know, the Balinese way of dreaming and how, like, you know, they they teach themselves that in their dreams to fight off the demons and whatnot, I do actually wonder how easy or hard that would be. I know myself personally, I, I when I have a nightmare, I'm full in on it and usually wake up screaming. I'm like Jesse in part two, like when he's like, Rah! that's me. Um, <laughs> uh, usually when I watch the first nightmare, though, uh, I tend to skip part two and go straight to part three because I consider it the full Freddy and Nancy story. Um, especially the idea of Hypnosil, which if you really pay attention in the first film, she mentions about, can't you just give me a drug to stop me from sleep, like stop me from dreaming? Um, isn't it ironic that by the time we get to part three, which technically should have been part two, but whatever, when you get to part three, here she's on this drug called Hypnosil, which, you know, is a drug to suppress Freddy from reentering her dreams. Um, so I always kind of liked how like there was like that whole, um, it's like the complete story arc part two. That'll be a discussion for another podcast, but I get what the director was trying to do. Jack shoulder had the right idea. Um, because I mean, okay, so here's the, here's my thing. Did he break the rules with Freddie? I don't know that you can say he did. Uh, because in nightmare one, if you actually think about it at 20 minutes left in the film, Nancy says to her father to come and get her in exactly 20 minutes. 20 minutes later, the film is done. So if you actually pay attention to it in real time, everything that we see from that moment on is a dream. It's a nightmare. She never did wake up. Um, but if if she did wake up, because keep in mind, like a lot of people have argued where the dream started and ended. She brought Freddie out of her dream if she did in fact wake up if she didn't then they were still in the dream world but earlier in the movie she brought his hat out so technically you can bring things out of the dream in part two when freddy's like you know invading jesse's body and he's like you know really at the pool party and stuff like that it's hard to tell what the rules really were so sometimes I think part two gets like picked on way too much, you know, for being a little bit different because honestly, if you pay attention to it in real time, she says 20 minutes from now, come get me. Well, daddy never came and got her because she never woke up. But if she did wake up, then Freddie came out of the dream. So it, it's, it's always nice to like, kind of like, I love discussing that part with people because it's always cool to hear everyone's opinion and hear their takes on it. Uh, for me personally, I don't think she ever woke up, um, which then leads me to wonder what did we miss between part one and part three that would ex like as much as it's explained why her and her father have a kind of like broken relationship in part three. I still wonder what happened because we never saw what happened when she woke up out of the dream. Of, finally, you know what I mean? Um, so it is what it is. Uh, let's see. So I mentioned earlier about how like uh, Sean S. Cunningham gets like, um, you know, a nod of thanks in uh, in the credits, as did Sam Raimi and Jack Shoulder. Well, Jack Shoulder, we know, went on to direct part two of Nightmare on Elm Street. Sean S. Cun uh, Sean S. Cunningham actually... Um, Wes helped him on the first Friday the 13th. He he did a few shots for the film. So Wes Craven didn't completely direct this film on his own. Sean S. Cunningham also directed a few shots uh, near the production of this film. Um, and uh, I, I, I guess it was because there was like different parts being done all at the same time. So Wes like, you know, basically did like one part and Sean S. Cunningham did another. I know that also there's uh, one scene in this film that Robert Shea directs, and it's not Wes Craven directing. 
so I don't know. I, I I thought that was pretty cool. And as for the Sam Raimi thing, well, that's you know, uh, what is it now? In Evil Dead, there's a poster of The Hills Have Eyes, which was a Wes Craven film. So Wes, when he did Nightmare on Elm Street, he has that Nancy's watching Evil Dead. I think it's the first Evil Dead. I don't think it's the second one. His first Evil Dead, she's watching it on TV. Yeah, definitely, because second Evil Dead hadn't come out yet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, it's kind of cool, like, how, like, all these directors kind of like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing and whatnot. So, again, decades later, this movie is still one of the greatest slashers of the 1980s. I could go on and on and on about this movie. But all in all, it's in my top 20 easily. I'd probably even put it in my top fucking 10, to be honest. Um, and that is a topic that one day will grace this podcast, by the way. I, there will come a day when I talk about like my top 20 all-time horror films, or at least top 10, whatever. Um, my final grave rating. I know, I've babbled a lot, haven't I? Uh, my final rating uh, for this film is a 9 out of 10. It's... Uh, not my favorite of the Elm Street, Elm, <laughs> Elm Street films. It's not my favorite, but it's definitely up there. I mean, it's let's put it this way. It's my second favorite. My first favorite is Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. That is by far my all-time favorite Nightmare on Elm Street film. But this movie is purely a great cinematic masterpiece. Uh, for what it is, it is fucking brilliant. It is a beautiful film. It is the film that saved New Line Cinema. It's the film that helped redefine slasher films at that time because, like I said, Friday the 13th, Halloween, Pieces, like uh, Maniac, Mad Men, they were all like, you know, they were kind of like the same thing. Happy Birthday to Me is another one. Um, and then along comes The Nightmare on Elm Street. Not only are we going to have a slasher, but you're asleep when you get killed. Like, it's just, it's... it's in my opinion, this is one of Wes's greatest accomplishments. Uh, rest in peace, Mr. Craven, because we fucking miss the living shit out of you. Uh, for many, this is what nightmares are made of. For me, this is what some of my favorite dreams and moments are made of. And on that note, thank you for listening. Um, I, 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 I could go on forever. And A Nightmare on Elm Street is such... Uh, it's just... It's a movie that inspires people, even in ways you would think is kind of weird. I'm not saying that it inspires me to go out and kill kids or anything, although there's days I could. But no, um, <laughs> it's just when you think about like the idea, when you think about the fact that like Wes Craven had, I mean, he was successful up to this point, but he hadn't really made his complete mark in the horror genre. Nightmare on Elm Street is what solidified that. Once he did Nightmare on Elm Street, that was it. Like, Wes Craven became a household name. Um, Freddy Krueger became a household name. Because, like, as, as much as as much as much and as great as, like, The Hills Have Eyes and The Last House on the Left are, they're films that not everyone would gravitate to. Nightmare on Elm Street has pulled in what I call normal audience horror audience uh like it just the mainstream masses like pulled into this movie and it was successful as fuck it's still successful as fuck um it went on to generate like video games tv series freddy's nightmares that is something else that will eventually be talked about on this podcast um because if you've ever seen the pilot episode the pilot episode for freddy's nightmares uh, basically, oh, what the hell is that episode called now? No more Mr. Nice Guy, uh, is the origin story of Freddy, or at least one of, uh, there's been a few. Um, so I mean like, and I mean, you've had, uh, what DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince did a song called Nightmare on My Street. The Fat Boys did, uh, Are You Ready for Freddy? Uh, or no, that was Houdini did, Are You Ready for Freddy? Um, or was it the Fat Boys? It was one or the other because I know they've both done songs regarded uh, regarding A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, wrestlers have had their moves, you know, the Frightmare on Elm Street. And, you know, there was, uh, I forget, there was another wrestler who he had, like, it was called, like, Nightmare on Head Street or something. Uh, the podcast, uh, you know, Nightmare on Film Street, clearly influenced by Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, 
it, it has inspired so many people to do so many great things. I, I had to do this as an episode. I wanted to do it within the first 10 episodes because I, I love this movie. I absolutely love this movie. It is a nine out of 10. It is, it is so amazing. And I'm so glad that all of you joined me this week to listen to me talk about it and babble about it and just passionately just love this fucking movie. I honestly don't think I need to say if you haven't seen this movie, please watch it. But if you haven't seen it, please watch it. It's it's a thing of beauty. In the horror world, it's a thing of beauty. And on that note, yes, I, thank you for listening. Um, if you would like to look up the podcast, contact the podcast, like contact me, that is, Paul. Uh, first off, if you'd like to listen to the podcast, nextlevelradioonline.com slash podcast zero. And don't forget, check out the other podcasts on the Next Level Radio Network because there's shit there that you will definitely... Something else will definitely appeal to you, whether it's superheroes, celebrity interviews. Um, you know, uh, There's a podcast about um, heroes and villains conventions. Uh, uh, there's the Melting Pat where it, you know, it Pat basically just rambles um, about cool stuff, obviously. But uh, th- there's definitely another podcast that will appeal to you. So check them out. Uh, to email me, what lurks behind podcast zero at gmail.com, Facebook, facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero, Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero. Uh, and I might add in two weeks time, I'll be talking about a movie provided it, it does get released in Canada on VOD as well. Uh, terrifier, uh, really cool thing. Last night I was on my Instagram account, you know, just fucking around and whatnot. And the actor who plays Art the Clown, um, oh shit, I'm horrible with fucking names. I hope he doesn't listen to this because he's probably going to want to smack me. David, uh, I want to say David Howard Thornton, I believe is his name. God, I hope I'm right. Uh, anyways, he started following the, uh, the the Instagram account and, you know, is looking forward to hearing my episode on Terrifier. So I thought that was really cool. Um so yeah, if you have an Instagram account, check out me check out the podcast on uh Instagram. Uh Twitter, WLB Podcast underscore zero. Uh, I use it occasionally. Um it's kind of Twitter and me don't mix very well, so I'm on there, but I'm not. But you know, feel free to check it out. I do post some cool stuff on there. Uh same with Vero. Uh I am on Vero, uh What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. I'm still trying to figure it out out like figure out that app. It's it's something that uh I it, it's taken me a bit, but I'm starting to get the hang of it. Uh, letterbox.com uh slash WLB underscore podcast zero. I constantly do reviews on there. They're little written reviews, five, ten sentences, you know, a star rating, a rating out of ten, whatnot. Check it out. You know, um, I did a rating, uh, a review for Tomb Raider on there because I did check that out at the theaters and it was really, uh, it was a fun movie. And finally, uh, redbubble.com slash people slash podcast number zero. And I just put some new designs on there. There's a Spookies design, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 design, two Halloween designs. Go check it out. Um, Oh, buy a shirt if you want, buy some stickers or whatever, or don't buy anything. You know, if you just want to take a look, I'm cool with that. On that note, my throat is dry as fuck and I'm definitely getting a little tired now. So thank you for listening. And please remember, no matter how tired you are, no matter how much you think you just need to rest your eyes, whatever you do, don't fucking fall asleep. Talk to you next week.